Are you ready for the best real estate investing advice ever? Join Joe Fairless and today's successful real estate professional as they share it with you. Let's go. A quick word from our sponsor, The Door Devil. Homeowners spend hundreds on alarm systems each year, but rarely reinforce the weakest point on the home, the doors. Bad guys know this, and that's why kick-ins are so common. Simply adding door devils virtually eliminates the home security gap. Sleep better tonight. Reinforce your doors. Visit doordevil.com and enter best ever to get an exclusive 20% discount on your purchase. Hello, best ever listeners. Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless, and I'm here with today's guest, Holly Williams. Hi, Holly. Hello, Joe. How are you? Hey, I'm doing well. And before we started uh, taping this, I don't even know if it's officially taping with like audio stuff now, but before we started recording this, you said something at the very end that I I think is going to be a theme that we're going to we're going to latch on to. And you said you're just a working stiff um that has been looking to find places to live creatively and have had a lot of success um with doing that. And uh a little bit about Holly before she gets into her background in more detail. Um she has had a tremendously successful career in advertising and business. She's held executive positions at all sorts of different media companies in New York City, uh, where she currently resides. Her and her husband own a multifamily home in Brooklyn that was creatively financed. She owns a, what she calls a five-acre retreat in Woodstock, New York, whenever she was First moved to Manhattan, she bought a Manhattan apartment, and that was creatively financed. She is currently an investor in passive deals, as well as uh, she has cr- done creative financing for property in Mississippi as well. So she has a whole lot of experience in a lot of different ways with real estate. I didn't even mention that you invest in tax liens as well. And I, I think it's really interesting to talk to her for her perspective on um, how she approaches real estate investing and what obviously her best real estate investment advice ever is. So before we get into that though, Holly, can you give the best ever listeners uh, quickly a little bit about your background and what you're focused on now from a real estate standpoint? Sure, Joe. So so I I grew up, you know, in Texas in a middle class you know, family and, and, you know, public school the whole way through. And I was given an opportunity to uh, move to New York in 1990 and it was supposed to be for a year. And I ended up loving it and I ended up staying. And then I met my husband about six years later. And, but in 92, I'm, I bought my first apartment. And so in the quest to find a place to live, you know, I'm a practical, my, my theme throughout my life has been, I'm practical. I don't need um, a lot of things and I don't care too much about driving. You know, I drive a Honda CRV. It's nice. We got heated seats, but you know, it's not, it's not a BMW and, and that's okay. I've just never been interested in, in a lot of things. I'm more interested in traveling and, and, um, you know, feeling, having that cushion. I always, you know, I I would never, you know, say never, but I'm I'm very reluctant to buy a place that I wouldn't be willing to live in myself. You know, I always have to have a plan B. So if plan B, I, you know, you can always live in real estate, right? So 
if everything goes to hell in a handbasket, we can move there, you know, it's a place to live. So that's kind of how I look at, at, at real estate as another investment and another that's really that you can see relative, you know, instead of the stock market or whatever, and the stock market's good too, you should stay, you know, diversified. And, and to me, I, I always have a plan B. Right. You know? I like that. And yeah, I know we met because we both went to Texas Tech and we're both on the alumni advisory board. Um, I don't know how long ago we met, but we'll say like five, six years ago. Um, And I know that you've since then had some interesting real estate experience. With the home in the family house in Mississippi, can you talk a little bit about the deal structure you had with the the resident um, who then turned into a buyer who then – left, but where you netted out with that and why you did that creative deal? Sure. So my parents passed away over in 2010, my mother and 2011, my father, and they had, I grew up, you know, mostly in Texas, but my family history is all in Mississippi and my parents had, you know, met there. My grandparents lived there. So I've always spent a lot of time down there, but it's Mississippi in a rural part of, it's 90 miles directly north of New Orleans. So it's, you know, very, very much a rural kind of logging railroad kind of place. And, and so they built their dream house, though, on about seven acres of land and backing up to the woods. And this is a beautiful, beautiful house. Um, I really wish it was in Connecticut, right? (laughs) You know, but it's in Macomb, Mississippi. And, you know, the economy there, it used to be a thriving little town when my parents grew up there. But you know, now it's it's uh, a, a special person, a special uh, family has to buy this house. Someone that's sort of in the mindset of I want privacy yet be fairly close to medical help and that sort of thing. And I want to be in the South, right? So I knew that it would be difficult to sell. Um, the first thing I did was a long time ago when they first built it, I bought the lot next door so that you know, you couldn't, my parents wouldn't be able to see their neighbors because I figured if I was ever going to be able to sell it, because I knew that day would come at some point that I would, you know, somebody that bought it was going to probably not want to see their neighbors. So, so I went ahead and I bought the lot next door to them also. So, but you know, they, they, in 2011, the, nobody, nothing was moving, no houses were selling. And The other thing is I try not to be too emotionally involved in real estate. That's why passive investing now suits me better. But, you know, I'm most emotionally involved in this house, right? It was my parents, all of those kinds of things. And so I put it on the market with a realtor and, you know, nothing really happened. They're not realtors. uh, There are many, many good realtors, but, you know, she didn't really show it that much. And and she was waiting for somebody else to sell it so she could get her 3%. So I, I just took it over. I built a website in a day or two. I went down there and I took great pictures. And I, and I put it on for sale by owner. And my neighbor, I enlisted her. And she's great. And, and I told her I'd rather pay her to help me sell it. And so, you know, she was in. And so we put signs up, you know, my background's advertising. So I do Google AdWords and all those things. And um, eventually, you know, it's close to New Orleans. So a lot of the people that do have money down there are, are oil rig workers or whatever that 
commute to New Orleans, like, you know, a month on, a month off or those sorts of things. So this, this guy in Alaska found my house. And how did he find it? He found it on online, you know, looking at, you know, I was on Trulia and Yahoo Real Estate and all those things. So he called me, he was going through a divorce and if he bought it, his wife would own half of it. So, so he needed help, right? And I needed to kind of get rid of a house. I was paying, you know, the carrying costs on it were $1,500 a month or so. I had a little mortgage. Um, you know, the mortgage was all principal though, by that point, it's like 1100 a month. And so I needed to cover my expenses and, and, uh, I needed to make sure he had skin in the game. So he needed to wait till his divorce was final. What we did was I did a, a sort of a lease purchase thing, but I made it so that, you know, he gave me a $25,000 down payment on the house that was, if he walked, it was mine. It was a non-refundable. And then he put down $3,000 earnest money. I mean, you know, like a deposit for the apartment, if you will, um, uh, that if he walked was mine. And he paid my asking price for the house. And the deal was we were going to close within six months. So seven months went by. In the meantime, you know, drama, right? His job wanted him to move. And I think the his company actually ended up probably paying me. That's probably where the money came from. But his job wanted him to move. And so he couldn't go, go through with the deal. But I got my mortgage paid for seven months. Um, if he had closed, it would have been a fine deal. Right. I got my mortgage paid for seven months. I walked away with 25 grand and um, 28 grand, actually. And so that gave me a little breathing room on on the thing. So I've taken about 5,000 now and I've really fixed it up. He took good care of the house. So there's no complaints there. And and I did it all. I did it myself. I had a lawyer draw up the, the lease agreement. You know, so I paid the lawyer like $300. I have probably at this point, probably a thousand dollars invested in like marketing of the home. And, you know, my deal with the neighbor is that when we sell it, I'm paying her based on the sales price. So, and so now we're, it's back on the market and I've raised the price $10,000 because now they're fracking. They're doing a lot of, they've discovered oil um, fairly close. The Tuscaloosa Marine Shale. You can look it up. And so now the, the hotels are full there. It's a, the economy is just a whole lot better. So I think that we'll sell it in short order. Wow. What a, what an incredible deal structure and the, the benefits of a lease with option to purchase for both the seller. Well, in this case, definitely the seller, but then, you know, for the buyer, if he did go through with it, it was a perfect agreement for him because it would have allowed him to exercise the option to purchase at the time that was right for him after the divorce was final, and uh, things would have been all right with him. But um, from a seller standpoint, my gosh, that's that's a great deal. What is your best real estate investing advice ever? Probably two things. Number one is to got to make it a win-win. You've, I found out what he needed. He couldn't really go buy a house or he didn't want to because he didn't want to buy a house and have his wife own half of it. That didn't make any sense. But yet he needed a place to live and he didn't want to rent an apartment or whatever. And, you know, the second thing is, is, a, is more of a mindset is that there's always a way to make things work and things just, I believe this with all my heart, that things just work out 
in the end and they work out the way they're supposed to work out. I really believe that it worked out just fine. I think his company covered him just like, you know, so that was fine for him. Um, I think that, that I made money and, and, you know, saved some angst and he took care of my house and I made sure, you know, I have a, it's more of a sense you you have to take a leap, but at the same time, you need a, a way out. I figured how much damage could he do for $28,000, right? Right. Yeah. And I knew that he had a good job and I knew he'd been, you know, he had a good job and, and, uh, he didn't want to ruin his reputation. Are you ready for the best ever lightning round? sure why not i know you've prepared because you already tried to tell me what the book was and i said we have to wait until we actually record so i'm surprised (laughs) (laughs) best best ever book you've read it's a big book it's by a, a man named edward rutherford who writes historical fiction and this one's called New York. He's always also done other cities, that sort of thing. But what what the book does is it chronicles Manhattan or New York City from the Dutch colonists to the World Trade Center attacks. And it takes four or five families and really tra- it tells a story about the the ups and the downs and how New York got and throughout this thing you really realize how a city grows. Oh, I am buying that. I think that would be so it goes through five generations of families or five generations of a family. Five families. Right, right, five families, but oh, m- obviously many more generations if it was that period of time. Right, and you see that that sometimes the economy is just terrible and sometimes you lose money and sometimes you're doing great and sometimes you're not. Best ever personal growth experience and what you've learned from it. That's a good one. I would say most likely it, it's been, um, you know, lately just has reinforced all is going to be okay. Um, You know, I went through a really difficult time the last five years or so with my parents. I think that I learned a whole lot about, about myself and about just the ability to, to kind of make it, you just do what you got to do and, you know, work will come out fine. John Lennon, I, I think it's John Lennon said that it's going to be okay in the end. And if it's not okay, it's not the end. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. That's good. So. Best ever success habit you practice? So I make a lot of lists. Most productive days that I have are when I make a list and then I I see what absolutely positively needs to happen. So so I, I, div- I, and I prioritize the list. And I check it off, and it makes me feel like I'm accomplishing things during the day, too. Best ever deal you've done? Well, I think that it was my Manhattan apartment because I made probably the most money on it. Actually, this deal in Brooklyn is good, too. I mean, the thing about Northeast real estate is it it's more expensive, but there's a bigger upside. And so both of these, I bought my uh, apartment in Manhattan. I moved here in 90, 1990. I rented for two years. I hate throwing money away with rent. The economy, the the real estate market, oh my God, they were giving away apartments. I bought my apartment at Ninth Street and Broadway with a doorman for $120,000. And it's a co-op. Co-ops are popular up here. And nobody was financing co-ops like the banks 
wouldn't give you any money. And so the develop, you know, the co-op developer um, was willing to finance this thing. And so he carried the note for the first five years and then he paid for me to refinance it. He paid all the costs for me to refinance it with a bank when everything got better. And so it worked out just really great. Um, It's interesting too. I was a young kid, saved up $40,000 for this down payment. Well, you know, and I, and it was a lot of money because the co-op required a certain amount of, of, uh, you know, you had to, had to put down a certain percentage or whatever. Co-ops are funny, but you know, that was a ton of money for me now. My God, if you know, so it's always a ton of money, like people doing the same thing. Now it's, you know, for 40,000, it's petty cash, right. To try to buy something in Manhattan, but it's, it's always, whenever you do anything, it's always seems like a ton of money, if that, if that makes sense. So I try not to let that scare me when I'm looking at bigger numbers now. Best ever quote. Oh, I was, I probably already let it slip. John Lennon? <laughs> yeah, I think so. I and like... I think he probably stole it from somebody too. What's the best ever place to reach you, Holly? On my cell phone and that's the only constant that's been in my life for the last whatever it's nine you know on my cell phone nine one seven nine seven five zero one four three all right well thank you so much holly for joining us and sharing your best ever advice with the best ever listeners and you know the the story of how you've uh, gone from apartment to apartment and then also in manhattan and brooklyn and then also the case study around the property in Mississippi is certainly interesting one, especially with how it ended with um, both parties and how that could be applied to similar scenarios where there's a seller who needs to get a little creative and a buyer who wants to purchase but not at, the, not at that exact time and how to structure it so that it, it makes sense. So thanks a lot for joining us, and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you, Joe. You're the best ever. <laughs> Thanks. Bye. Bye-bye. Hey, you, best ever listener. Do you want more? Then head to JoeFairless.com, where there are tons of free videos, templates, and content to help you get deals done. And if you want Joe to personally help you reach your goals, then go to the Work With Joe tab on JoeFairless.com and apply to, well, Work With Joe. 